Hello, humans. I am Emily Smith. I'm here for the Vine Down with Jenny Petty. And I'm so, so thrilled. I am out over my enrollment skis today because I'm talking to a marketing leader. It feels like I'm like a little kid in the zoo. I'm like out of enrollment, like talking to marketing. And um, Jenny is somebody that I totally like fangirl stocked. And I was like, hey, I think you're very cool. Could you come be on our show? And um, Jenny's got this awesome background where she got her start in corporate marketing and then launched herself into our special, special world of higher education, um, where she was leading enrollment marketing at the University of Wyoming. And as a former Wyomingite, I will tell you that um, marketing an institution in cold and windy Laramie is a very challenging, uh, challenging uh, challenge. And um, several years ago, she joined the University of Montana, where she is the VP of Marketing Comms Experience and Engagement. Jenny, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Emily. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, cool. Uh, so folks out in the audience land, reminder, the live show, we don't do a live show for our health or our own entertainment. We do it so that you can ask us stuff, comment on stuff. So if there's stuff you want to know from Jenny, please drop us a comment or a question and please let us know. Um, so Jenny, we are going to start the way we always do on the Vine Down with our Higher Education Leaders Series, where we ask you to share with the audience three key lessons that you've learned in your career. Yeah, I, I, this is really hard to distill it down to three, and I kind of cheated and made four. Um, Cheers. Hey, Making so your own rules is lesson number that's one. That's kind of what I do, so I kind of can't help myself. Um, you know, the first one is something that I learned over time, which is I found my career trajectory changed significantly when I found ways to serve people or an organization or an institution um, first, rather than thinking about myself or my, my career first. And so I think I've you know, grown a lot in the last decade to 12 years. And a lot of that has come from just finding things that needed to be done and slotting myself in and kind of making them happen um, and helping other people as much as I can, which I get a lot of joy out of. Um, the second one is that when I was in grad school, there was this great passage from Parker Palmer in The Courage to Teach, which is just a phenomenal book. And he talked about how knowledge is created through conflict. And I think a lot of the time on, uh, especially on our campuses, right, we are so conflict diverse. And because of that, there's like these really unhealthy things that happen. So you have things like triangulation or passive aggressiveness or thinking zero sum where, you know, somebody has to lose for you to win. And I think all of that comes from not being able to be open about conflict. So I have found a um, big fan of radical candor and I think it makes a big difference of just being open about conflict and, and being curious about other people. The third one, and I'm kind of ripping Tina Fey off from her interview she did last week. So just know that, uh, is that authenticity and vulnerability, and this comes from, I'm a big Brene Brown fan, but over time I have learned authenticity and vulnerability are, are a privilege that not a lot of people get in organizations. There are not a lot of organizations that are brave enough to have open conflicts, to be vulnerable, to show up authentically. And that's something that I think you have to be aware of in the organization that you're in. You have to understand what it's capable of. Okay, the fourth one is inspired by Taylor Swift. This is my rule breaking one. Sorry, Emily, um, because I'm a big Swifty. 
she said in her timepiece, this thing that has stuck with me, and I think this can apply to a lot of people uh, in their work life. Sometimes you find yourselves in these situations where you work with people who lack integrity or lack honesty or rub you the wrong way or are doing things that are unethical. And Taylor so said in the timepiece, trash always takes itself out. So that's my final piece of what I've learned over my career. <laughs> so I read that in the pre-show because I asked you to take like, you know, <laughs> jot down whatever you're, you're going to say, because I'm always going to ask this question about how, you know, what are three key lessons you've learned? And I read Trash Takes Itself Out and I yelled alone in my office. I yelled, damn. And I was like very excited <laughs> for you to talk about that. So that's an excellent fourth thing. Um, but future guests, don't get any ideas. I'm going to ask you to stick it to three things. <laughs> um, and Jenny, you also mentioned uh, Radical Candor, which is the Kim Scott book and approach about sort of how to show up authentically. And again, if you think radical candor is just a short changed way to say like, oh, like we can be blunt and we can be mean or we can be cruel. It's not that. Don't read it if you think it's going to be that. Um, but definitely read that book and take in that framework because I think it's really important. But all of those things, Jenny, like you're, you're talking about like locating your focus outside of yourself. And you're saying like by locating my, so my focus outside of myself, I... I'm actually serving myself. You're like, incidentally, it's the best thing for me if I focus outside of myself. And you, that really feels consistent with one of the frameworks that you've really like invented and pioneered, which is, um, which is about servant marketing. And that's like a really big deal for you. Um, it's a podcast you have, you're a host there, you've got your own website. Can you like tell me specifically about servant marketing and how you keep the humanity in marketing, which is not necessarily an obvious straight line. Yeah. So um, I did my master's at Gonzaga um, and my focus was a concentration in servant leadership. And that was just something that from the time I started to learn about that concept, I didn't know anything about it until I, I started exploring getting a master's um, was something that just resonated so deeply and almost gave me permission to show up in the world in a way that felt authentic to me and that I hadn't seen a lot of, especially coming from the corporate world. Um, I didn't see a lot of that leadership displayed. I was lucky enough, and I talk about this in the podcast, um, to have two leaders who really exhibited servant leadership and, and there for me, people who kind of changed the way I think about leading. Um, so I was in my master's and I started to think about my work and how does service and servant leadership show up in the marketing world. And from that, I developed the podcast, which was actually my master's uh, capstone project. And it's called The Servant Marketer. There's two seasons of it. I'm in a little bit of a hiatus deciding what to do next with it. But it's really about exploring how we are just more intentional with the work that we do how we center consumers at the heart of what we do, how we use our creativity responsibly, um, how we show up with integrity, and we're just care more careful about what we put out into the world and what we're, we're showing in the ways that we're showing up for consumers. And so um, there's a lot to explore there. You know, I'm not the only one thinking this way. Marcus Collins' book, For the Culture, I think is, it has a lot of the same tenets in it. Um, but it definitely has guided the way I think about the work that we do. Yeah, I think it's really amazing to bring in sort of the human focus and sort of this higher order approach to to marketing. And this is something like you've in the last few months, you've added some things to your title. So before several months ago, you were just VP of marketing and comms. And then you've added on this 
framework of experience and engagement. You've, you've had that added on to your title. And I'd love for you to tell us more about what that means at your institution. Um, and in, in that answer, I would also love you to include like how you work with enrollment specifically. Much of our audience is coming from enrollment. Um, but yeah, tell us about the experience and engagement portion of your role now. Yeah. So, you know, came into it, what was a, a traditional marketing communications role at the University of Montana, uh, which included enrollment marketing that's embedded under my shop, which I was excited about because I have a deep background in that. And I really love that work. Uh, but over time, we started thinking, uh, I'm lucky to work for a president who thinks differently, who came from outside of higher ed. And we're really thinking about marketing communications and experience on this larger scale, like this flywheel of the whole life cycle of what a, a prospective student or, uh, you know, another target group on campus would be. And so through experience and engagement, we've added um, of the alumni relations group reports into my shop. And then we've also added employee engagement. And so thinking about not just our prospective students or our current students, but also thinking about how important our employee experience and engagement is to that student experience. Um, and so it's really exciting. It's experimental. I've been lucky to be given the, the, the trust to try that. Um, and we're looking at it, like I said, like that flywheel model of, you know, over time, how are we delivering brand experiences to audiences, no matter if they're current student, prospective student, alumni, donor, uh, employee, faculty, staff, how does the brand experience impact their brand affinity and brand awareness? Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about something at like a very high level of an institution, like all of that strategic alignment across all of those different groups essentially gain so much momentum and build on each other so much that like when you say flywheel, I, I am hearing as a technologist at heart, like flywheel in, in software and sort of growth means something very specific. And it means like when small wins are building on each other and the whole thing gets going and it takes a lot of energy and effort to get going. But once it's going, it goes on its own. And that's something that we don't really talk about like in enrollment shops specifically. And I get like on the marketing side, you're sort of, you've got different tools and frameworks available to you. And on the enrollment side, we don't talk too much about flywheels and where like things would gain that much momentum on their own. Right. Because like, we're like forcing the, funnel movement each each cycle exactly each, each yeah time. yeah when you think when you think about the traditional enrollment funnel um it's a it's a means to an end right we're moving someone from one stage to another i think the flywheel looks at that holistically of the whole life cycle of, of that person and so yeah exactly like in my mind our flywheel is is designing experience it's human centered it's looking to ways to authentically and genuinely engage these audiences so that they become that momentum on the flywheel and they keep um, the excitement and the passion for this place and this university alive. Yeah. And, and on like for enrollment specifically, you're also like at its sort of tiniest point, you're boiling it down to like affinity of like, let's attract students who are not only going to be, you know, like get through that funnel and like, we can like crank them through those stages to that end stage. But like, who are going to persist because they really understand our brand and that experience and it resonates with them like very deeply and transformationally. And then obviously the folks who are, especially for like tuition and funder driven institutions who are going to like go out and be like successful alumni out on earth, whether it be like participating in the communities around us and in our state for state institutions or 
like donors who are going to be like well, uh, well-functioning members on earth to give money back to the institution. Um, exactly. And I want us to be as intentional as we are about prospective students with all of our audiences, because hmm. we are one of the only industries where, you know, to steal this from Disney, I think it's like cradle to grave, right? Like we can have a, a child come to a, an athletics event and that's the beginning of their journey and they can be here until they're, you know, elderly and they're giving back to the university. So um, I wanted to broaden the way we thought about engagement or, uh, across audiences. So I'm curious, and we've talked about this a little bit in our preparation for the show, as you think about sort of like your marketing org and all of the things that roll up to you, there's a certain amount of language that you use because of your you know, background in corporate and the way that I think you measure work um, that are like sales and marketing type language. And like, we've sort of talked a little bit about like, is, are those dirty words or are they not? Like, is talking about like revenue, a dirty thing. Um, and I'm curious, like how you use those metrics and how you measure the effectiveness of your org but like strongly keeping the humanity into that. I'd be very curious to have you chat with that about that for a minute. Yeah. You know, I feel like I learned the hard way my first couple of years in higher ed of, of how important vocabulary and vernacular are, mm. right? Like the customers debate when we talk about students, it's like even brand on some campuses is something that people are not willing to entertain. Yep. Um, but I think, what we're seeing across the board, right, is more and more institutions are becoming um, so revenue dependent. And when we think about sales and marketing in the corporate sector, um, it's not that different than what we do on college campuses. I think the main difference is that the marketing function in higher ed is just finally reaching a level of maturity that maybe it hasn't had. And so for the first time, I think you have in the last decade or so, you have marketing shops that are tying their activities to revenue generation and, and showing how what we would have called in the corporate world, like sales enablement is enrollment mm. marketing. Um, and so I think you're seeing a difference in the, the profession is maturing. Our relationships with our enrollment partners are changing. Like we're not just the promotional shop anymore. Um, and I think you see a lot of tension on many campuses because there's maybe a disconnect between what marketing could be mm. or where it's going and what is expected from right. enrollment. So you and you um, you wrote an article uh, in the last couple of weeks from Inside Higher Education about like questions to ask before you join a marketing operation at like a high level in an institution. Um, and as you talk about like, where marketing functions and like how you talk about marketing at an institution and sort of the various things that you own. I'm curious for the folks in our audience who are maybe thinking about joining an institution at that high of a level, like what are some of those key things to think about? Um, yeah, you're going to, I think I outlined 10 or so in the article. So you're gonna put me on the spot and I'll probably remember like three of them. You don't know, like but... <laughs> what feels like the most important off the couch? Um, okay. Not a test. Yeah. So I think first of all, um, I think one of the most important indicators, like let's say you're a marketing leader or an enrollment leader and you're trying to decide if you're gonna take one of these positions. 
learning about where it reports into in the org structure is probably the most important indicator for you of how it's perceived on campus. So um, a CMO role that is not reporting to the president or that is lumped in like the advancement function or, you know, I think we're seeing this trend go down. But for a long time, there was enrollment and marketing communications lumped together as one leadership role. Mm -hmm. Those are big asks. That's a lot to ask of one person. You have to make sure you're going to have the support in place that you need, no matter what, whether you're lumped in together or not. Um, so I think org structure is really important. I think trying to get as realistic as a, a view of budget and what you're going to have available for resources in terms of people. Um, I think doing an assessment of where the organization is at, you can do that from the outside, even without having all the info, but, you know, understanding what you're walking into. Are you walking into a rebuild? Are you walking into a maintenance situation? Uh, are you going to be expected to, to drive revenue generation? What's the timeline for what you're going to be expected to contribute? Um, I think being really thoughtful and intentional going into these roles is better for the, the person uh, exploring it and better for the organization. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there was a couple of weeks ago, my friend Mickey Baines posted about this on the enrollment side about like exposing chief enrollment operation, op, chief enrollment roles that weren't reporting to the president and weren't sitting on the cabinet. And like this really interesting conversation unfolded on LinkedIn on the enrollment side about like, what happens when these, you know, these people who are tasked with these critically important things don't have a seat at that leadership table and I think, you know, you're sort of saying like, you have to know like where you are in the org and like how that is, how your position is viewed, but also like what it will mean if you take that position, like what can you then go do in context of those other things? Like whether you're in sort of like a save or you're in maintenance or you're in a rebrand or whatever that is. Yeah. Um, but knowing what that is seems really, really important. And it, you're right. Like, I think more and more that those roles are getting broken out separately, all are having a lead role on the, on the leadership table, but it's still surprising to me. And, and honestly, the comments on this LinkedIn post from a few weeks ago, like really were shocking about how many chief enrollment operators or uh, officers out there were like, yeah, I'm not on cabinet. Pretty wild. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is getting really clear about what the expectations are for the yeah. role. What yeah. is the, what success going to look like? And, you know, who you're reporting to, I think makes a big difference in, in what those look like. Um, there was a study a couple of years ago out of the Darden School of Business that that in the private world, it wasn't for uh, public sector, but it said that the average tenure of a CMO is 43 months. And the, the number one factor for a CMO leaving after that was uh, the alignment between the CEO and the CMO. Uh, and I think we see that a lot in higher ed too, especially as we're hitting, we're getting close to the enrollment cliff, expectations, and what... Uh, at risk, everything seems very high pressure. It is very high pressure right now. And so um, I think getting as clear as you can on those expectations and what's realistic is really important. Yeah. I mean, and I would almost argue that it's probably like worse, like it's more challenging for like a CMO at an institution versus like a CMO at a, a corporate, at a company reporting to a CEO who is in and of themselves, like most often like business minded and revenue driven where most of us are working with presidents who are like academics. And I'm curious, like, this is a potentially a tough question, but like how much education do you find that you have to do like up, out and down in your institution? So much, it's a regular part of the job. Um, and, you know, I, and I'm working for a president who came from the private sector. 
So, and I still have to do a lot of education about what we do. Um, there is this push and pull with marketing communications offices of, you know, nobody wants to be considered the taco shop. Nobody wants to be like the on-demand designers or on-demand writers. Like the, my team wants to do strategic work, but there mm. is that, um, there's that push and pull. Like we have to do some on-demand work, but we also want to be strategic partners. And so I have to I constantly kind of, you know, walk people through what that means. What does that look like? How, um, you know, how should you be approaching us about work? How do we want to be included? Like it's a lot and it's a lot like that you wouldn't have to do. I didn't have to do on the private sector. So it's a little bit different and higher. Gotcha. And is yeah. your approach to that education? Like, I mean, I can tell, like, as you say, on like, like you said that so easily with a smile on your face, you're like, yeah, it's a huge part of my job. And you said it so like joyfully and tenderly. But I'm curious, like, do you bring process to that or do you just address it when you see it? Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, we're not just going to, like, take orders for, like, the flyer that you want us to write. Like, that's it's not a combo. To. It's a combo. So we have done a lot of process improvement to help with, you know, things like intake of projects, of getting the right people at the right table. Um, but it is also like spot correction. It is you know, when we have a conversation about a new program that might be starting, it's like, please bring us in, you know, at the very beginning of this and not two months before it's launching. And you just want us to, to figure out how we're going to get, you know, a hundred students enrolled in this by next month. Like it, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of that. And, you know, I think, I think for a long time, there's been kind of this feeling among marketing communications people on, um, on campuses, there's just a resentment that builds because we know we're capable of so much more, but we don't often get called upon for that or, or are not at the right places or at the right tables. And I just see it as a leader in, at this time in this space. It's an opportunity. Like we are, we're helping to bring in the next generation of what marketing communications is on campuses. And so, I, you know, you can spiral down resentment and anger and annoyance, or you can just recognize that it's part of the job. Yeah. Like you just so gleefully like recognize it and then like move on. Like, yeah, here's how we're going to yeah. do that. We're going to add some process to it. And we're going to add this like big hug around it and make it better. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, like you obviously work for a large institution, a well-resourced institution. And I know that there are many folks in our audience who are at very different schools, right? They're like, typically enrollment leaders at very small schools that aren't very well resourced. Some of these folks on the enrollment side also own comms and crisis comms. And, and I actually, I, I frequently get texts from enrollment leaders in my network who are like, who can you connect me to who can give me like a crash course on crisis comms? Because I know how to enroll students and I don't know, like, I don't even know when I should respond and what I should respond to. Yeah. And I'm curious if you can give resources. I'm not going to ask you to give like, the crash course, but if you can give some resources um, or direction for those folks who are enrollment, but off, also happen to own crisis comps. Yeah, crisis and issues management is a huge part of what these roles have become. Um, you know, and I would say we're we're a state flagship. We are not particularly super well resourced, so I can relate to some of the campuses um, that are struggling because we we have a very limited budget and. We do the best we can with it. Um, I would say crisis comms. There are a lot of great organizations out there. There's Reagan Communications. There's the Public Relations Society of America. Um, there's some great firms out there that are just awesome and work with all sorts of different schools. Um, you know, I think 
it's really tough to take on crisis comms if you have no training in it and it's overwhelming and every single time you go through it you feel like you're the first person even with experience you feel you're like, like you're inventing the, first. the wheel each yeah you're like the first person you're like no one on the planet has ever dealt with this thing that i'm dealing with right mm. um and in higher ed i think tapping into the network of marketing communications professionals that are out there there are people who are going to be willing to help you and give if you find yourself in those situations so I think keeping up to date on what's going on on other campuses so that if you find yourself in that position, you can build a network to rely on those people. Um, but there's great training out there that's, you know, through PRSA, through Reagan. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some other ones, but there's a lot of great people out there. Teresa Valerio Parrott's the principal of TVP Communications. She's brilliant. I work pretty closely with her. That's super helpful. And yeah, I, I, I'm not joking that like in the last three months, I've had three different people reach out to me going like, I'm, I, I know I have to get better at this, but like, I just, I'm so uncomfortable because it's so different from, it's such a different job function than like meeting with students and families. Like, and many times it just feels it, like you it say, is. Like, I'm inventing the wheel. Yeah. And we, we're asking people to do jobs that they're not trained or don't have the background in. And that's always really difficult. Um, you know, I think something that helps a lot of institutions is decision matrix around mm. when to release a statement, yes. when, you know, I think having that ready before you find yourself in one of those situations is really helpful. Um, but gosh, yeah, I feel for enrollment leaders who are being asked to do that because their jobs are big enough and that's, it's a huge undertaking. Yeah, for sure. And um, pro tip, this is just like borrowing of what's out there. Well, um, there are a couple of small colleges who have in their president's office released some content around like when to communicate, which is a great start. Um, and DePa and Allegheny are, are institutions that are coming to mind that you can find out on their website, like their pre a president's message, like from the president's office, like here's when you can expect to hear from us. And at least it organizes on that decision matrix, like the way, like what we should reach to communicate about and what we shouldn't, right? Because that's like the first decision is like, do we even say anything? Yeah. And then it's the what to say and when and to whom. And it is such a tricky landscape now. It is so yes. different than it used to be. I mean, also we don't have the control that we think we do or that mm. our campus constituents think that we do, right? Like, you know, we've had incidences on campus where the whole thing is is on social media 12 hours before we can get a statement out because we're waiting for legal. Other, yeah, you know, it, it's really challenging. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's, those are super helpful resources. Um, I will get those from you like in writing and then comment on the show. So if you're hearing what Jenny just relayed about the Reagan group and some of the other resources that she mentioned, I'll make sure that I'm posting about those because I think that would really help some of our audience. That's awesome. And I'm just curious, Jenny, as, as we start to wind down, what in general, like what enrollment leaders and admissions practitioners could learn from marketing orgs? Like there's always like, uh, you know, as we talk to enrollment people, like I wish marketing understood this. I wish IT understood this. Like what's your public wish for what uh, enrollment groups would understand from marketing? You Aside know, I, from like bring us in early, we can help you be strategic. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest wish um, is, that they would realize that the load they carry is a shared responsibility and that you have partners in marketing who are willing to share that responsibility and they're not alone. 
Um, you know, if there's any two units on a campus that understand the pressure, yeah, there's tension, but also understand the pressure of everyone in the world thinks they can do your job. Mm. You know, from, you know, so-and-so's grandma who lives in small town, wherever, to somebody's kid. Like, everybody thinks they can do your job. And we're probably the two units that face that the most. And so we have more in common than we have different. That's really um, interesting. I think that there, a healthy level of tension is what makes really good work happen. So mm. I don't think we should shy away from that either, right? Like, I kind of think of enrollment and marketing as like a marriage. Like, you got to dance with each other and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's awesome. And it's just that part of the relationship. So I think having realistic expectations that it's not always going to be unicorns and rainbows and we're not going to be like holding hands and like skipping across campus, but we can work really closely together and it can be good. And we can share that responsibility of the pressure that they feel um, because we feel it too. Sure. Your perspective on conflict and like finding value in conflict and disagreement and like sort of knowing that that's going to be table stakes and calling that out and being very vocal about that. I really appreciate that. Um, this audience has certainly seen um, our segments on like difficult conversations and conflict and some of the other vine down episodes that we've run because like, I couldn't agree with you more that that's like the juicy guts of the work is, is happening when things feel hard. Um, and there are ways to like, you know, help your own team and your own self and your own body, like get through those moments to have those things be like impactful and good learning. So I yeah, because what, what, like when we're in those moments, it's the same fight or flight reaction. Like that's what we're yep. wired. That's what we're wired for. And so I think emotional regulation is a huge part of understanding, like I'm going to be uncomfortable and I'm going to give myself permission and it's going to feel kind of icky. You know, we did this huge rebranding project when I first came here and I could look back now and be like, whoa, I feel like I was having an anxiety attack for like a whole year, but it was because it was so uncomfortable, but the work is so good. So, yeah, I, yeah, I got to live with it, I think. Well, there's somewhere I could take this, like given that both you and I live in Western states with like wildlife, there is also the like the things that our physical bodies are wired for is like, holy crap, bear. But like <laughs> that might happen to you and I, like as we're taking our trash out but likely not many other people out in the audience, but like the same thing that's happening yeah. to you in that holy crap bear moment is like the thing that's coming for you in conflict for sure. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I've spent most of my life in places that want to kill you. So maybe yeah. it's just me. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, bring it on. Bears at work. Let's do it. We do um, bear alerts on our campus pretty regularly. Yeah. 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 I mean, this, this is normal life in the West. Um, okay, Jenny, we'll close up the way we always do, which is asking you in this crazy world we live in, there's a lot that's going wrong and we could complain about and be afraid of so many things. But I'm curious from your perspective, what are you excited about in the next six months? You know, I'm really excited about this digital transformation that we've been working on since, since I came to UM. I'm really lucky to work with Stephanie Geyer, who's just a fantastic digital leader and we've been really working on personalization and kind of next level uh, experience on our digital platform so really excited to see the evolution of that continue we're experimenting with ai in ways that we haven't and that's just really fun feels like a big science experiment so very excited about that i'm super excited about the evolution of our brand experience work uh you know like i said it's getting more into employee engagement, kind of moving past. We, we did a lot of firefighting in the first couple of years with brand experience. And now we're getting to this kind of area of maturity that's really fun and interesting to start thinking about what comes next. 
there. Um, really excited to learn more about the alumni function. Um, so lucky to have just a phenomenal alumni leader, Leanne Layton here, who uh, just knocks my socks off. And so really excited to get a chance to work more closely with her. Uh, and then on this gray 27 degree day, I cannot wait for Montana summer because it is the best place on earth. Don't tell people that. Then they'll all yeah, don't come. Don't, don't come. Don't You'll come. hate the snow that we all have to shovel here. <laughs> the worst. Jenny, thank you so much for being here. I super appreciate you. Like I said, I've been like such a fan of yours from afar for so long. And like I, as I read your blog and as I consume stuff that you're in, like as I'm reading, I'm like, yes, uh-huh, more, uh-huh, yes. So thank you for coming and being yourself and talking us to us about how to be a human-centered uh, marketing leader, to how to talk about talking about how you can work like a good, authentic, genuine human across the organization to create awesome strategy. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Have a great day, humans. Be well. We'll see you next week.